0: This is another product innovation show and I'm here with Vishal Kapoor who is a Director of Product Management at Shipped, American Delivery Service owned by Target Corporation. He's also a featured speaker at Product School where he shared his experience and industry expertise building marketplaces and pricing systems. Vishal, such a pleasure having you on the show. Welcome.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Looking forward to it. I
0: want to start with the biases in product management. From your experience, what are some of the ones that come to mind? You're making decision on product. Maybe you are, you're you're working with the team. What are some of the things that catch people out in deciding which direction to go?
1: So this is a very interesting question. Uh, let me make sure that I understand you correctly before I you know, formulate sure. form an answer. So bias is in product management as as related to decision making. Yes. Right. Uh, for the team, for the for the company, for the larger strategy.
0: Yes, it could be it could be smaller tactical, or it could be as large as the company wide, related it, to product. Got it.
1: Got it. It's a very interesting question, uh, and I think uh, it is subjective to the context of what, where you are, where the company is, what kind of a company it is. Uh, yeah. You know. The way decisions are made at a media house like New York Times, which has a technology arm, is probably different from the way decisions are made within the search team at Google, just to set context. right? Like that's, it's, it's you know, on, on the spectrum of technology, where do you index, where does the company index itself, uh, is a lot of, is a, has a lot to do with whether the decisions are made subjectively uh, or how much of the subject, how much of subjectivity is uh, part of the decision making versus objectivity? Right? right. It's impossible to say, to put it in a simple way, to make subjective decisions in Google search because of the scale and everything. Right. But it is, you know, it is uh, there is a big editorial team that may decide how a New York Times uh, website looks like, what content goes up, how it's presented, etc. So first of all, context is important. Uh, mm. That said. Uh, in companies that I have worked for, I, ha- I have worked at and, and built product at companies like marketplaces. I would say that usually it is a combination of the two. There is usually a large operations team that is trying to run the marketplaces. Uh, the way I like to, uh, you know, joke about it is, it's uh, artificial human intelligence, right? Which is, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of humans in the loop. Uh, which are actually trying to do the, the right right thing. But a lot of decision-making tactically uh, comes from how humans think, how humans act, et cetera. So in in marketplaces, for example, at a company like Shift, of course, we make decisions based on data, right? You, you know, de- depending on the life, the other question is depending on the life cycle of the company. Some companies are zero to one, and some mm-hmm. companies are trying to go from one to n. So they are a zero to one, they're trying to go from one to n. And some companies are at at n. Google search is at right? Zero to one, maybe maybe this is another way of answering. Not just a company, but even a product. When you don't have any data, when you're starting a zero to one, you just don't have data. So you are going to make decisions which are basically subjective. As you start scaling, becoming bigger and bigger and bigger as a product, as a company, you get more data. And naturally, the discipline of being more data driven actually just automatically kicks in into the company. So I think it is, it is organic. Uh, big technology companies will do it. it. It will be very, very data and experimentation driven. Small companies who are really, startups who are really trying to find their feet are very subjective. It's very founder and you know, uh, opinions driven, because they have strong, educated but strong opinions. So really, it kind of depends on where the company is. And I think where on the technology spectrum, uh, you know, are you like a media company or, or like a tech company? Uh, as of your core values, so I think th- mm. those are the two factors that go into decision making.
0: Right. Where do you feel like, if we look at marketplaces in particular, because this is this is a, one of the big areas of, of uh, in your career. If we look at marketplaces, where do you feel like uh, teams could get caught up, caught up in uh, when they make the decision in uh, w- which direction to go with the product?
1: Yeah. This is a this is a fantastic question, uh, and I think. I will start by saying that is the beauty and the challenge of working for a marketplace. Okay, so mm-hmm. just, just take Shift as an example, right? Three sided marketplace. There is a, a customer that is placing the order, the demand side. There is a shopper, uh, which is actually fulfilling the order. So let's call them supply side. We call them supply. And then there is the retailer, which is the inventory or the catalog where the order is actually being fulfilled from. Now here's the just let's leave the retailer out of the example for a second. Between the customers and the uh, shoppers, the goals of these two actors are exactly polar polar opposite. So what what do I mean by that? Customers want to pay bottom dollar, and shoppers want to make top dollar, yes. right? Uh, right? Because you know it's fair because you know it is there, uh it, it it is they are coming to a company like shipped or maybe you know. An Instacart or a Doordash or an Uber Eats, all of the competitors, basically for, for earning a part of their livelihood. So it's fair that they are trying to, you know, earn a earn a reasonable livelihood from all of these companies. But that's where a marketplace actually comes in. And it is a game of basically it is a game of balance, right? How do we, you know, how do we make sure that we don't uh, build product or skew product to one side to appease one side? I mean again this is probably a strong word. But how do we not skew product to overfit the product to one side so that the other side suffers? Because if any of these sides suffer, the marketplace is not going to sustain itself. It needs to sustain. So that, that delicate balance that we walk is actually kind of important. So that's the context. I'll give you a simple example. Uh, rating systems. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of yeah. companies have rating systems. Uh, now let's take a. Let's say that, so, so what, what happens with the rating system? Uber has ratings, you know, Lyft has ratings. There is, a, there is a reason why people collect ratings, or companies collect ratings, is it's an indicator of the quality of service provided by the, in this case, the supplier, let's say the supply side, so the driver. Mm-hmm. Usually the ratings are that somebody's rating the driver, like somebody's rating supply, not the other way around, usually speaking, that's how you start. So now in this case, assume there is a rating system, and there are ratings and now you are using the rating system for you are going to use those ratings for something internally right so you are going to use them for example for work allocation right people who get rated better are probably better people and they probably need to get a better uh, you know better share of the work mm-hmm. because they provide good service over and over again but here's the problem what about what about like there are there are natural human biases that actually come into it what if you know people who are minorities actually get rated lower not because of their quality of service but because of the fact that they are not a part of the majority and how does product actually decide that we don't build things which how do we propagate how do we design the product so that it pro- it propagates it fosters equity across the board so that is what is the beauty of you know working for a marketplace uh, you know so that we can actually kind of every feature that we launch right we are very thoughtful about an overall impact across the board uh, you know not just if we launch this feature, besides the fact that it takes time and effort to launch something, how do we make sure that it is actually equitable across the board? So I think that is a big factor that we you know keep in mind as mm. we as we go as we build features in our. marketplace.
0: And and I don't remember if you said you told me that or it was somebody else, but it was about that people who built the system, the, who design the criteria, are biased too. So like, there is exactly a bias right. that exists in all exactly. of us. So, it's, it's, so you're right. teaching the AI. I think it was an AI discussion. If you have an AI, well, AI has been taught by people who already have a certain bias. So by definition, right. it can't be objective.
1: That's right. I will give you a very simple example uh, also that, uh, without, without going too much, too much into detail as to what we are doing, I'll just say something sure. that exists across the company. Something like a implicit versus an explicit preference. Right? Do you want to build what uh, somebody on the let's say on the supply side or the demand side? What they want? Do you want to give them? Uh, you know? Do you want to s- give them explicit preferences in the product to set what they want, or do you want to infer that based on their behavior? Right? So ratings mm-hmm. is kind of in that in that in that area, Fe- especially surveys and feedback is in that area. So coming coming to a very simple example, how do you mm-hmm. design surveys? Right? People, somebody, the person who's designing the surveys has their own biases, and I learned this, for example, you know, early on when I used to design surveys as a PM, Mm -hmm. is that a lot of times I used to ask leading questions. So think of yourself as an entrepreneur who just started, you know, uh, you know, came up with an idea, and you're Mm -hmm. doing market research, and you go and you ask your customers, would you like this? And, you know, 90% of the time, the answer is going to be yes and and if you ask another leading question would you use this the answer would be yes but i think what happens is where the rubber meets the road you actually see that you know 90% of people said they would like it and they would use it but only 10% of people are actually using it so my point is that you are exactly right this is a very simple example where these type yes. of biases actually you know how do you design a survey it's even a simple thing like a survey is that that also takes some level of skill to design a good survey and get good data points points out of your customer out of your audience so yeah
0: but I think, um, I don't remember who said it, but it was definitely not in product management, but you could make, I think it was about interpreting the data and building the report. You right. could basically pr- provide proof of pretty much anything you could, tw- you could twist at the story and yeah, say it in, 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 whatever way you almost want, if you really right. want it, you could probably dig it up. So it is, uh, it, it was, it was, I think it was about how, how inherently employees in the company optimize for their metric and the way they optimize for their metric mm, is not necessarily the best for the company. It is, ba- they, they just extract the max amount on what they're being measured on, but not necessarily what is good for the product or the company, but it's a slightly different direction.
1: Yeah, it's such an, ex- excellent, such an excellent insight. It's such an excellent you know, uh, taking the thought there. So I'll, I'll give you two data points there. Number one is confirmation bias is real. Right? Yes, you are going actually. to look at, you are going to look at, if you're going to, if you're looking for something, if you look at it long enough, you will find that there is, some, there is something there, right? So it's just how humans operate. Confirmation bias is real. And the second point is that uh, part of it is also uh, the way these evaluation systems and these measurement systems are designed. There is a, there is a design system called OKR. There is a great book yes. by uh, you know, an industry legend called John Doerr. Which says measure what matters. That's the title of the book, yes. and it's about OKRs and you know how, how you set OKRs in your company, etc. But coming to your point, uh, one of the things that I try very hard uh, in my groups wherever I am is I, I I take the wisdom of you know our leaders at the company. I, I I take that as a sort of a source of truth, right? Like if there are company level OKRs that we want to improve, whatever unit economics by you know a dollar or whatever. That is done with a lot of input from a lot of committed, intelligent, smart, and thoughtful people. And what I try to do is, okay, I am, working at a, at, I am working where the rubber meets the road. How can I make a line from this all the way up to what the company is trying to do? Out of that one dollar, can I actually contribute to five cents? Can I contribute to two cents? Can I contribute to 20 cents? What can I do so that I can actually draw a straight line? I try really hard. It's not always possible, especially when you have platform teams which are building machine learning systems and so on. It's not always easy to say every quarter over quarter that your OPRs are completely connected with the business. It's not always easy. I'll I'll acknowledge that. But I try that. A, A problem of the OPR system is exactly the other point I mentioned is that sometimes people who either are not that have not been through that system for a long time or happen to be in situations or happen to own products where the outcome is not obvious. If you own, for example, I'm going to make this up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a search index system, indexing system, right? Your OKR is I want to improve the latency of the indexing system from you know 50 milliseconds to 10 milliseconds. It's a technical product. It's something that you know r- runs your entire search infrastructure and all of that. Let's just say that, right? Sure. But how do you actually say that actually saves me 20 cents? It's a very, very different. You know, it's very hard for for PMs, especially technology technical PMs, TPMs actually draw that line so you are right uh, number one confirmation bias is real and number two sometimes because of the measurement systems uh, because the way people are evaluated against goals the goals are sometimes said that uh, it makes them feel like they can achieve the goals because if you can't achieve the goals then the system actually says that you have you have probably not achieved much if you don't quantify and set a goal whatever regardless of whether the goal is called you know has has good quality mm-hmm. is a good quality goal or a bad quality goal uh or or you know a perfect or an imperfect goal you need you need a goal because that's just how the system works so there are these things uh which actually come into picture you know when you mm. work in the real world so yeah that
0: and you said um, you said that managing people is a lot harder than managing products <laughs> that was that's okay. how we started the conversation is there a certain magic is there a certain Secret about it that is a north star that you need to aim for when we talk about managing and let's let's look at it as product people
1: yeah boy that is a that is a pretty uh, that's a pretty complex question uh, is there one north star when it comes to managing people i i I will answer that in a slightly bottom up way what am i looking for uh, or how do I evaluate, not just others, but how, how do I evaluate my own you know, contribution or success as a, as a technology professional? Right? Let's, let's start there. Mm-hmm. So I am looking for uh, basically two, two types of skills. Right. One is I'm looking for somebody who is creative. Uh, and creativity comes from, basically comes from being data driven. So you are able to look at data. You are aware of your confirmation biases you can look past your confirmation biases you are objectively you know intellectually intelligent and you have that that experience behind you or you know the the intelligence behind you to actually look at it from a neutral observer, observer point of view i will fall prey to this sometimes myself because sometimes when you get too close to the problems you don't have an objective point of view that happens to me and my boss will keep me in check and you know that may happen to her and then her boss will keep me in check her in check and so on and so forth but uh, but the one part is to uh, to find out you know the right problems to go after. I, I, I love to say this to my PMS uh, or generally generally people is that especially product people is that uh, don't don't spend a lot of time in doing project management. Spend a lot of time in finding ideas. So I don't want you to be farmers. I want you to be hunters. Mm-hmm. Right. So PMS are hunters and not farmers. Like you know it may give you a lot of gratification to to do a lot of bookkeeping and all of that but that is not what your 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 intelligence and your goals and everything is to actually go and hunt right so so that is number 1 is i like hunters and i like data driven hunters uh, and i like people who are extremely outcome oriented not output oriented so that is one right and the second yes. part is so first part is choosing the right problems having the right outcomes you know having that the the the, the front part the second part then is communicating actually getting it done and convincing everybody that this was a great problem to solve so i, I another thing that i like to say about pms is that or, or generally anybody i like to say is that anybody can be a starter but it takes a special skill to be a very good finisher right oh, so true. i like so people true. i like people to be finishers anybody can anybody can come up with an idea but you know uh, it takes uh, you know somebody like mark zuckerberg to make facebook right yeah. Uh, and, and make Facebook what it is, right? So there is that special skill there. So that's, those are the two things I'm looking for. If you, I think both are important. One and, and the second part is you may have to navigate people, coming back to what you were originally saying. You may have to navigate other people, convince them, negotiate with them, you know, in, on both sides actually, that this is the right idea, this is why. So you have to convince them at the start. And when you finish, you have to actually, along the, you have to bring them along the way. But when you finish, you have to not only uplift yourself, but uplift everybody who has worked hard, you know, with you, the entire team that has worked hard with you, and uplift them and make a bang and say that this was this is why this was important. This was a good idea, and everybody worked, you know, for six months on this idea, and here are the results to prove that it was a great idea. So I think those are the two things that I'm I'm usually looking for: people who uh, execute with a sense of ownership, uh, take that sense of ownership. One of the I, I'll say this last thing, and I'll uh, you know we we can move on. One of the things that I like to also uh, tell my PMs is, imagine yourself as somebody who's running a mom and pop store, right? So we like to say, you know, that uh, you know the PM is the CEO of the product. I think when you say that, I think I personally think there is a certain undercurrent of entitlement when you say you're the CEO of something. So I don't, I don't want to do that. But what I want to do is I want to say that assume that you know that you. Uh, were the owner of a mom and pop store, a small business. right? It was a small retail store, it was something, a small business that you were running as a mom and pop store. What level of autonomy would you execute? What level of ownership would you execute or agency would you execute to actually make this business successful? That is who you are, right? Mm -hmm. It is is not very different from doing that. You will need to go to investors and convince that they need to invest in your idea, and it's the same here. When you build a roadmap, you need to go to your, you need to get buy-in from all of the leadership around you. Uh, you know, you will need to finish well. You need to, you know, build on top of your successes and keep going forward. So operate with the level of ownership that when you make decisions at the at the lower level, what kind of decisions are you making? Operate with that level of ownership of whether this is even a good idea, to good decision to make right now or not. So be very strategic even when you're being tactical. So that's usually how I, how I evaluate, you know, there are people biases, but that's usually how I evaluate our people who are, uh, know sort of are able to look past the biases and basically you know take the company take the team uh, and even themselves right take it take it to the next level versus people who are probably not in the arena not actually playing the game but they are actually on the stands a little bit passive but they are, they are not actually in the in the field and actually playing the game with other people yeah hmm.
0: Th- tim uh, tim ferris uh, talks a lot about that and I, I will bring it back to your first point he talks a lot about that it's infinitely more important to work on the on on what you're working on versus how you're working on it
1: right right basically goes uh, back to your point first point yes basically goes goes back to my point uh, it goes back to the first how we started the conversation was that uh, a part of it is not just what you are working on a part of it is there are biases and they are real and you know looking past your own biases picking the right problem but then actually going and convincing everybody that this is the right problem to look at. I think it's kind of a, and then, and then bringing not just yourself, but bringing the entire organization along with you. This is the right way to think about the problem. If we are not thinking like this, then we are probably a little bit narrower than what we need to be. So you know, those things are what I think work, work, working with people, like you said, right, people, because of all these, because of all these complex decisions that somebody has to make every, every single time, that's why people are harder than products. Products are, I think, an outcome of uh, good people and a good process. If you have a good, if you have a good team, and the team has discipline, I think the the building great things uh, as the world the world is great, right? The world changes every day. Mm-hmm. Building great things as the world changes and doing it fast is just a natural outcome, as long mm-hmm. as you have discipline and people who are committed to doing it. Right.
0: We spoke, to, we speak to quite a lot of PMs, and I've heard personally from a lot of them is that struggle of being a hunter versus a farmer. They say, yeah. Sometimes I feel I'm an email router. Sometimes I feel I spend so much time on Slack, I have to talk to my team all the time. How do I do this? How do I, what's the right way to, for me to actually work on something that looks forward versus just being always reacting in a nanosecond? What do you tell your PMs? How do you, what what's your what's the philosophy you try to tell them around that?
1: So I so I think one of the things that I try not to do. Uh, you are asking a, uh, another another important question and another important point of how do I coach my PMs? Let's let's reframe the question in a slightly mm-hmm. different way. One of the things that I try, I think any leader will, re- any reasonable leader will try not to do is try not to micromanage, right? I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. So you don't want to, you know, you. if I am not as close to the problems as my product managers are and I don't want to thrust my opinions on my PMs for them to do something. What I will do, uh, you are asking a process question. So what I do is uh, I saw a good, a very interesting rub- uh, rubric on Twitter the other day and it basically said that 25% of the time you know, a leader is setting goals for their, for their uh, team, for their reports, that you know, 25% of the time, these are your goals, reinforcing the goals. 50% of the time, they are actually uh, working with them together, so it's a player-coach. And then the rest of the 25% of the time, actually, it's more like feedback, which is like, I don't, I mean, can you guys keep me in check, right? Uh, that's sort of like the, the level of respect and humility and the empowerment that you can actually really truly do. I think one of the things is if you try to micromanage, what happens is that it takes away the sense of empowerment and trust away from the people that you are doing that to. Right? So it feels like I don't trust you. I don't think you're doing a good job. Therefore, I have to intervene, and I have to do, you know, bring some adult supervision, which is not, I don't, just on principle, I don't think that's a good idea. If that happens to me, then I, you know, I, I feel that way. And if, and if I pay that forward, then I am, I'm sure that other people feel that way as well. So I, I try not to uh, pay that forward. But that said, how do you, how do I make sure that for for PMs, young, especially PMs who are running the teams individually, how do I make sure that they uh, feel empowered and not sort of, you know, stuck with this sort of a problem or or sort of corner that they are an email router, or mm-hmm. they are you know just going and you know maintaining you know your uh, your sprints Slack. and your ex- ex- spreadsheets or Slacks or whatever, right? Exactly. So the way I would do it is, uh, first, I would try to coach them outside. I would, in in our one-on-ones, I would say, OK, you tell me. Like, tell me. And the other thing is also, again, situations are different. So what I would do is, I would, I really, really encourage people to talk to each other. (laughs) I think that's where it starts. You know, first, go, you know, criticize, uh, praise publicly, but criticize privately. So if you do have a, you know, if you feel that things could be better and they are not optimum for you as a product manager, go and talk to the person uh, and see if you can actually work it out be- between yourselves. It is important for you, to, for the PM who is in that situation, first of all, to grow and learn how to actually handle themselves. And, and basically, that fosters autonomy. So I will coach them. I will give them some tips. We will have a very candid conversation in the one-on-one. And, you know, and I will say, OK, can you try this? Can you try that? Why don't you go and try? That's number one that's not landing i understand you know a lot of times that may or may not land at that point then i will probably have a conversation at, at my level right and then i'll be like i have told my pms this happened this actually happened in uh ad Shipt, uh, right. and i will go and tell those leaders my corresponding leaders i have told my pms not to farm and i've told them to hunt now now we need to negotiate here it's not that they are not farming because uh because they are you know lazy or they are. Not disciplined or whatever—that's not the case. I am taking ownership and I'm taking responsibility that I have actually told them not to hunt, right? Uh, right? So that they have time to hunt. So I will have that conversation, right? It's not like I don't believe in—I really don't believe in, you know, uh, you know, put the, you know, make a good, you know, cast people in the right roles, right? Like make, cast them and then get out of their way. That's just like you know another way in my in my mind. That is another way of saying, I'm going to throw you in the deep end, and then you sink or swim. It's up to you. That's just not right. Ultimately, what am I trying to do, right? I'm trying to uh, lift, I'm tr- I am trying to basically achieve outcomes through people, which is the point that you were making before. Managing people is very hard. Yeah. And, and, and it takes time for people to grow and develop the autonomy and feel that they are trusted and, you know, developing that level of trust, etc. It's a hard, hard thing to build a very good team so where i will go in this case is i will go at a at my level and i will make it clear that i am the one who said not you know who told them not to farm i am the one who said you will not route emails i am the one who said that you will not do slack either we hire somebody at that level to do that to, to route the emails and they can do it across teams without you know a pm is not a, is not a catch all they are yeah. not going to do everything, everything that, you know, let's, let's draw lines, it's good to draw lines because then you know what you're accountable for. Versus, you know, and this happened, this has happened to me multiple times in my career, when there is no, nobody to point a finger at, it's like, oh, go and talk to the PM, right? But that's just not fair at the end of yeah. the day. So that's what I'm saying, I've lived in those shoes, I will step in, I will say that this is something I want, uh, how do we make it happen? And that's a different conversation so that I will basically make sure that my PMs, especially the people, and I, and I, and I, I take personal, you know, personal. I'm personally invested in them as people, not just, I, you know, not just reports. I don't care about rank. I feel like I'm responsible not only for the company and the outcomes, but I'm responsible for people who report to me, especially. I'm responsible for their lives and their well-being, and you know, having a good quality of life and all of that. Right. So, so I will go. I will intervene if an intervention is required. I'll make sure that they are in the loop. First, I will try to, for them to actually sort it out themselves, because that's right, really the right way of growing as a person. Mm-hmm. But if that doesn't land, then I will actually uh, you know, uh, at my level go and, and try to see what we can do to work around it.
0: Yeah. Right. As much autonomy as possible, of course.
1: Exactly.
0: Right. Uh, Vishal, uh, we're going to do this four quick fireside chat questions. Um, sure. Short answer, just see what you think. And we've, we've been piloting that a few times, but I'm curious right. uh, what uh, first thing that comes to mind. A lot of companies don't have transparent product processes. Why does it happen? Who needs to fix it and how?
1: Uh, can you repeat that? I I lost you for one second. Can you yes. That?
0: Uh, a lot of companies don't have transparent product processes. Why yeah. does it happen? Who needs to fix it and how should they do it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the one word answer that you're looking for, because it's a quick rapid fire round, I would yeah. say shared ownership, shared ownership. Mm, uh, and right. I would say shared, not just shared ownership, I would say shared leadership, right. that's my answer.
0: There's a lot of pressure to do what a big customer wants you to do, especially if you're in a, in a B2B company. How do you dig yourself out of this situation as a product leader? Uh,
1: there's a lot of pressure to do something for a B2B company uh, for what the customer wants.
0: Hmm. For one large client.
1: Yeah. Uh, I would say talk to your salespeople. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not joking. Talk to your salespeople and tell them that uh, this is not going to scale. There is a risk if that client terminates the contract with us. What happens to to everybody else? Mm
0: A lot of folks copy the features from their competitors. Why do, they, why do they do that and not focus just on the customers? What should they do instead?
1: So, good, great question. Uh, I'll use a line from DoorDash, customer obsessed, not competitor focused. But uh, I will clarify that statement by saying, ultimately, if you, th- if you think of it as a marketplace, because I'm a marketplace guy, the demand pool, or the, the people who are doing something, let's say, you know, social network or whatever that is, the demand pool is the same. One company pushing the innovation to do something, let's say you know, stickers making up you know, a few years ago, somebody did stickers. The demand is now used to having stickers. It's, it's not an ec- exceptional uh, exceptional request for them. it's just expected. It. So everybody else has to call it copy or call it normalizing, that feature across mm-hmm. the industry. Can call it copy but really it is normalizing because everybody just wants it and then from on top of that then you figure out what is the next thing to build i don't really call it copying it is normalizing because the because the demand pool is the same and they expect it now yeah
0: the way that steve jobs would put it we don't copy we steal
1: (laughs) i mean you know there's different ways i i don't want to i i'm genuinely i genuinely say that's 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 a funny one i i genuinely think that it is normalizing because you know, if Amazon is uh, t- taking, again, uh, a page from Fulfillment, where the space that I work into, if Amazon is going to say that we are going to give you two-hour deliveries you know, going forward, yeah, everybody else has to do it because the customers expect it. Call it copying or call it whatever you want, but customers expect it. It's the same mm-hmm. demand pool. And their habits have changed because of one big player who has innovated in that space. Everybody else has to kind of catch up to it, if you think about it like that.
0: Yeah. Right. Um Last question, asking users what to build. How bad of an idea that is.
1: Now I will quote Steve Jobs, who basically said, uh, People don't know what they want. Uh, And I will also quote his, I think he misquoted Henry Ford, but he basically said, uh, If you asked Henry Ford, or if Henry Ford went and asked customers, What would you like? they would say, I want a faster horse, right? versus a car, right? So I I don't think that is a Henry Ford quote, but uh, Steve Jobs said that. Uh, I think. I think Steve Jobs can say that, <laughs> because you know, because you know, yeah. there's there was one, there was one Steve Jobs, right? So he can say that. I think there are clear visionaries who can anticipate where the world is going. Not only that, but they have the conviction and the belief. Like take M- Mark Zuckerberg, right? He's trying to take the world and his trillion-dollar company into into virtual reality at this point. That takes a, a level of conviction and a level of commitment. Like a level of vision like no other. He's really Absolutely. trying to take everybody into absolute, you know, into. A, they changed the name of the company. That's just nobody would have thought that. I wouldn't have, right? So, so yeah. one part is that there are the Jobs and the Zuckerbergs and you know the Larry Pages and you know all of these, you know, those uh, and the Travis Kalanicks of the world who are trying to do, you know, these things. But that said, uh, uh, it's not that you can completely ignore what the customer wants, right? It is, it is always good to take a lot of different opinions and then make your own decision. So yes, I, I, it's not that Apple does not do feedback. It, it's not that they don't do focus groups. They do it. But then they make their own decision because they know where they're trying to push the, push the boundary. And then they make their own decision in deciding what they actually want to do. So yeah. They just do it better. It's a, it's, it's a collective intelligence. Exactly
0: right, exactly. Right, right. Vishal, right. Uh, any parting thoughts uh, you want to leave the audience with, any final messages, anything? I haven't asked you, but uh, you wish I did. Uh,
1: first, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you for giving me the chance and the opportunity. This has been fantastic. Uh, I think I will leave the audience with one thing that is top of mind for me is. Uh, I kind of touched upon that before. Was the two aspects that that people should really focus on, or leaders should really focus on, uh, when you're trying to achieve outcomes or good goals. The two aspects are people as well as processes, right? If you have a v- bunch of really smart people, but they are not disciplined, or there is no system for them to, uh, you know, operate, it kind of becomes a lot of the flies, unfortunately. So you don't want that. If there are just processes for the sake of, you know, you. You going and punching your time card, then that's not productive either because there is no intellectual work happening. So I think leaders need to focus on both of those, and that's how you should grow your, grow your company, grow your teams. Uh, otherwise, you know this was a fantastic conversation. I you know think uh, you know we covered pretty much most of it. One last par- parting thought that I would leave the people with uh, is that there is a there is a fantastic book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. And this is a book by a coach called uh, Bill Walsh. And uh, I live in San Francisco, so this sort of hits home for me. Uh, this is about the coach uh, taking so 49ers, San Francisco 49ers, the NFL team. They were not really doing really well. They were doing very badly. This was, I think, in the 70s and the 80s, back when. Mm-hmm. They were not doing well at all. And how Bill Walsh comes and he basically does you know, these. So Amazon has 14 leadership principles, but Bill Walsh's principles, I think there are 39. And they are very mm-hmm. tactical. Respect each other, right? You know, nice. uh, don't 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 think of the other person as cynical, or don't come from a point of view that you are, uh, you know, that they know that you know better than them, right? For example, so things like that, I, I request uh, everybody on this audience to take, uh, you know, to to at least rec- read a summary of that book, if not the entire book. Uh, it is it is a blueprint for how leadership should operate, how how good leaders should behave. Uh, and I think the title says it all the score takes care of itself So focus on the people focus on the processes and then ultimately good outcomes are just an outcome
0: If we will link it in the show notes guys because I think this is the book you absolutely want to read if you want to get to uh, That uh, yeah. ultimate level of uh, performance and, and career success. Vishal, it was exactly. an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me uh, and uh, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, any other follow-up questions if the audience has that, I'm happy to answer. Them.